listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that prayer. Uh, one of the things that we always, when we step on this uh, stage, on this pulpit, one of the things we always want to do is make sure that we're s- speaking God's word and not just some clever way to uh, come up with some fancy points that fit today's society, but rather we want biblical truth to saturate your hearts. So I welcome that prayer because I don't want to speak any cleverness from my perspective. I want to speak God's truth and that you would take it home with you as it's working in me as well as I study it um, and that it would change your lives. And in particular, this new series that we're starting today um, is one of One that I've struggled with a lot uh, in the last, I don't know, five, seven, maybe even ten years. Um, Our new series is called Pursuit, and what are we pursuing? We're pursuing God's will. Often in Christian circles, maybe you're not familiar with church culture, but if if you've been part of a church or if you've been to church before, Christians tend to talk about, their calling and what God's will for their life is. And I'm not talking, when I say calling, I'm not talking about the calling that typically New Testament authors refer to as being called to become sons and daughters of God, but rather what's my calling? Like what's my vocation? What am I, what am I supposed to do in my life? Like answering basic questions. See, the Bible is a guide for our lives um, in terms of, we tend to think at least, just how we live morally, how we live good lives, and how we worship God. But it doesn't tend to answer questions, at least directly, that we're interested in. Like, who do I marry? Is this the right person to marry? What career do I choose? Is this my vocation? Am I supposed to be in a job I don't like? Am I supposed to be in a job that I'm passionate about? Um, Am I supposed to live in California? Am I supposed to live somewhere else? Am I supposed to live in this city? What do I do with my life? How do I make these decisions? The Bible really at all in the New Testament doesn't give us guidelines. Paul doesn't go like, well, make sure that, you know, you marry this certain type of person that's not too picky, but also compliments you in certain ways and likes the same things you do, likes the same shows you do. We don't really get any guidelines about this at all, right? And and so when Christians they struggle with this. They talk about trying to find uh, what it is that God wants them to do. What's the secret path? And so in our series description, we wrote, we often think that God has a secret path for us, that he wants us to guess, guess, by trying to pursue his will. And then we, we then try to guess which job God wants us to take, who God wants us to marry, what God wants us to study, where, to, where does God want us to live, should we start, does God want me to start a business, does God start me, want me to end a business, to switch jobs, to, you name it. The problem that we have is that God's will for these things, of course, as we just said, isn't explicitly expressed in the Bible. But here's the reality. God doesn't want us to guess what his will is at all. He never gives us, this This is a cultural thing that American Christianity has developed, right? This guessing his will. Like, if I align myself and I feel like God is pulling me in this direction, it's not necessarily something that the Bible talks a whole lot about. Um, and so we've attached this, this frame of work to finding God's will, and 
God doesn't want us to go guessing and feeling to see if, you know, if this is a certain path or another that we're supposed to follow. I like what David Platt wrote in his book. Uh, David Platt, in his book, Follow Me, wrote the following. This is a quote from him. It's not on the screen, but if you want to know, again, this is David Platt in his book, Follow Me. Here's what he says about this issue. What if God the Father has not sent his children on a cosmic Easter egg hunt <laughs> to discover his will while he sits back in heaven saying, you're getting colder, warmer, colder? <laughs> and what if searching for God's will like this actually doing it that way misses the entire point of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I love that. God doesn't want you on some cosmic Easter egg to find what your will is vocationally or family-wise or location-wise or financially. He doesn't want you to do that. Instead, he wants you to be a disciple and kind of develop your will into his, transform, as Pastor Jason was saying, that we would be transformed from our will into his. And that's what Jonathan Parnell says, reacting to David Platt uh, affirmatively, he says, Christian discipleship aims to transform our will. It's not that we're supposed to go on an Easter egg hunt to find out what God desires for X or Y areas of our life. We're supposed to be worried about transforming our will into God's will. That's hard. That takes time. That's not a procedure. That, that's, that takes submission, daily submission, and worrying about probably other things other than the Easter egg hunt, right? Knowing God's will is about transforming his will into ours. And so the key question that comes into mind is how does this happen? The reason I struggle with it, by the way, is because uh, a few years ago, I, I guess I noticed for reasons that I'm not even going to get into, my life went in a different direction that I thought God was going to take me into it, or into. And I, at first I asked myself, did I, did I mess it up? Or did God have another plan? And I started to worry probably too much about whether or not I was on God's right path. Oh man, is this what God wants me to do? Does he want me to be in California? Does he want me to be a professor? Does he want me to go back to Puerto Rico to my family? Does he want me, uh, what if I messed up my calling? What if God had this plan and I messed it up? And I used to have that mentality and I struggled with it for years. But what I started to find in God's answers through the Bible is that really in reality, God isn't uh, trying to get us concerned about those things. He's trying to get us concerned about other things that are explicitly his will in the word of God. So our goal really, so that we can figure out these ambiguous areas like marriage, job, location, finances, so that we can figure out those, our job is to try to, con to co be co-workers with God, transform our will into his by his power, and then we can look at different decisions from that perspective and make godly decisions. We want, as Pastor Jason said, to be transformed. Nothing better than to look at a scripture that has both the words transformed or renewed and will of God in them, Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2, a passage that's often quoted by Christians, says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You need a new mindset. That by testing... You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there it is. 
To find out God's will by testing requires a new mindset, a renewal of the mind. Now, you might argue, well, okay, I need a new mindset. I don't need to have God's mind or God's, God's will. But the same author in Ephesians 4 tells us basically the same thing again. We're supposed to basically paraphrase. Paul says, you're supposed to develop the mind of God. He says in Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, he says, put off your old self, right? And that includes your will, your desires, your wants. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, the way you used to live before you committed your life to Jesus. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires, desires that are not God's desires. Because of sin, they're not God's desires, right? And to be renewed, there's a key word, it's Paul using it again, renewed in the spirit of your minds, he's using mind again, and to put on the new self, and here it is, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If I'm supposed to renew my mind and make my mind in the likeness of God, that means we have to have God's mindset. I'm not talking about having the knowledge, the perfect knowledge, infinite, unattainable knowledge of God. I'm talking about the, the, the type of mindset that knows how to walk in a manner that's consistent with biblical principles. We want to exchange sinful desires and get a new mind like the mind of God. So that seems to be the key. I need to renew my mind so that my mind functions like the mind of Jesus when it comes to decision making. How do we do that? That's the key question. How do I transform? I get it, great, Ricardo. I wanna transform my mind to be like the mind of Jesus. How does that happen? How do I do the renewal of the mind and not conform to the patterns of this world? And that's what this series is about, how to accomplish that. I'm gonna give you a big picture of what the series will be to accomplish this transformation in our minds, but then each Sunday that follows today, we'll look at one of those four keys in particular, and we're really gonna dive into how to apply, not just what, what can we learn from it, but how can we apply it to decision making. And so we have then, I'm gonna call them lens, four lens through which to view decision making. I don't wanna make decisions the way I've been doing it, with my own mindset, I want to go through these four lens that will transform my mind into the mind of Jesus. And so the first one, the first thing that I want to do when um, developing the mind of Jesus is to, as Jesus tells us, love God with everything and love others the way Jesus loved you. Love God with everything and love others the way Jesus loved you. That's the first step, the first lens to being able to make decisions from a biblical perspective. So let's read Luke 10, verses 25 through 28, where Jesus uh, has an exchange with a lawyer. And actually, a lawyer is the one that says the, the command to love God with everything, but Jesus affirms it and says, yes, that's correct. Let's read that. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Meaning, how do you read the law? And he answered, the lawyer, that is, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And he said to him, that, this is Jesus now speaking, you have answered correctly to do, do this and you will live. So next week, Pastor Jason is going to dive deep into that and talk to us about what does it mean to love God with all of those parameters, with all your heart, with all your mind, renew your mind, right? With all your strength, with all your soul, what does that mean? How does my life look? And more importantly, how does my mind process things? If I'm loving God in everything I do, in everything I think, in everything I approach, I think of it from a perspective of loving God and loving others. Here's what's crazy about loving others, by the way. Jesus tells us in another passage that we're supposed to not just love others as ourselves. Actually, he takes it up a notch. He says we're supposed to love others the way Jesus loved us. He says we're supposed to love others the way Jesus loved us. In John 15, verses 12 through 13, uh, or 12 through 13, excuse me, it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So we're supposed to love others the way Jesus loved us meaning giving his life so that we could have life. That's a powerful way to live. But if you think about it for transformation of our minds so that we can make appropriate decisions, imagine if everything you do every day is guided by love for God and loving others the way Jesus loved us. I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> but imagine what your mind would be like, how you would think and approach decision-making if that was one of the primary aspects that you think about. Now, the, the whole point to this is, if I do that, if I love that way, if I love God in everything I do, in every area of my life, that means I don't compartmentalize. I don't love God on Sundays and then kind of forget about him during the week. Rather, I'm loving him consistently. I'm seeking to be closer to him every day. I, imagine what that looks like. 1 Thessalonians gives us a really good picture of what that mind looks like once it's been renewed by that love. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's, that's what a, a mindset just saturated in love looks like. You're rejoicing always despite the suffering, despite the circumstance, you're rejoicing always because you have a father that loves you and you have, and now you love others. You pray for those that you love and you give thanks in all circumstances because you trust in God the Father. That's, that's crazy, but that's, that's what that mindset renewed looks like, right? That's what it looks like. So we want to first lens love God with everything and then love others the way Jesus loved you. The second lens, which we'll do on uh, week three. Seek to be holy in the power of his spirit. So the first lens was love God with everything and love others the way Jesus loves you. The second lens for transformation of your mind so that you can make godly decisions is to seek to be holy in his power, not our power. And we're going to see that the Bible says clearly that this is the will of God. 
not what career I should choose. The will of God is that I would be holy. And first, and by the way, sorry, I have a lot of scripture today, <laughs> but I'm trying to remove my words from it and just give you God's word for it, okay? So I'm just, I'm just, I'm basically relaying what God gave me through his scripture, through his words, not mine, okay? Seek to be holy in the power of his spirit. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For this is the will of God. Become an architect. No, wait, no, that doesn't say that. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Fancy word for becoming holier. And what is becoming holier? Becoming more like Jesus. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. See, the problem is sometimes, like I said earlier, we compartmentalize in our decision making and we kind of throw out the biblical principles because we feel like those decisions aren't necessarily uh, applicable to biblical principles. But we want to be holy. Again, just Underline that in verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Make no mistake, you're saved if you've declared your life to Jesus, if you've given over your life. But a saved life is a life that seeks to be sanctified. If you're not seeking to be holier, meaning to look more like Jesus every day, you should be if you've tasted the grace of God. And here's the thing, if you Seek to be holier. Think about what your mindset looks like when making decisions. You're going to make decisions that allow for you to be holier, not hinder you in your holiness. Right? And the good news is I don't have to get it perfect because Jesus was perfect for me. (laughs) He declared me holy, and so now I just have to look the part. I have to seek to be holier and be transformed more and more like Jesus. So, and, and that said, it's not by our power, right? This bullet point, the second one that we just saw is seek to be holy in the power of his spirit. You can't be holier by yourself. You can't look more like Jesus by yourself. Galatians 5.16 says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we're co-workers with God in our venture to be holier, to look more like Jesus. It's by his power that it's done. It's by his power that I can look more like Jesus, that I can be holier, that I can seek to live a life that's more and more consistent with the way Jesus would live it out. Now, if, if for some reason you feel like, man, I, I can't do that, Ricardo. I can't be holier. I want you to understand This is not something, if you've truly come to Jesus, this is not something that you are supposed to start. He starts it in you, but you follow through. Again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says in Paul's benediction, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That's that word again, make you holier. Who's doing it? Are you doing it? No, it's God. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, you look holier. He who calls you is faithful. 
Ricardo will surely do it. No, he will surely do it. You are guaranteed that God is going to do that process of being holier in you. All you have to do is walk in it. All you have to do is step into that. But he's giving you the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's a promise. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you will walk in holiness because he gives you the power. Not perfectly, but striving towards that ideal of looking more like Jesus. Again, if you behave and look more like Jesus every day, your mindset in decision-making is totally different. So bullet point one was love God with everything and love others the way Jesus loved you. Bullet point number two was seek to be holy, meaning more like Jesus, in his power and in his guarantee. So what's the third lens? What's the third aspect that we can do to improve how we transform our minds into his mind. We share his good news, the gospel. Share his good news. If my decision-making, think about it. Should, I, should my decision-making be based on, well, I should move to Texas because lower taxes. Or I should move to Seattle because... I don't know, they have good music. <laughs> Should I move? That, that's not necessarily, I mean, those are good perks, but that isn't godly decision-making. What if instead my decision-making of where I live and what job I take and who I marry is based on furthering the gospel? Furthering the gospel. Sharing the gospel. Because that was the main command that Jesus gave us before he ascended into heaven. Uh, or at least one of the main commandments he gave us before he ascended into heaven. He says in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, verses 19 through 20, speaking to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That doesn't mean everyone has to go overseas, right? It's about sharing the gospel in your context or whatever context you feel pulled towards, whether it's in this state or in this country. The point is, if I move, I move because God is moving me to share the gospel, not because the weather is better there. I mean, again, that's how the world thinks. And those are nice perks. But we don't think that way. Jesus calls us to think from a gospel-oriented perspective. My decision-making should in, in some way be guided by love to him, love to others, trying to be more like him, and sharing the gospel. If I can be a part in any way of sharing the gospel with others, I'm doing God's will. I'm doing God's will because that's the commission he left to his church, that his church would expand, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. See, God cares about those that don't know him. In 1 Timothy, we're reminded that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to be saved. That's his will, right? We're trying to find out what's God's will for my life. Well, in some way, partner with evangelizing, with sharing the gospel, that doesn't mean I go and sit at Augie's and I sit next to someone and I say, do you know Jesus? It doesn't mean that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not evangelistic. That'll probably scare them. 
What it does mean is that I build relationships with people. I invest into their lives. I care about them. I listen to what they have to say. I see where they're at, and when, when that relationship is strong and the opportunity is provided by God, not by me, I share the gospel. Because here's the thing, the only person that's going to convert them is God, not you. <laughs> You're not going to come up with a clever argument to convince them to switch sides. <laughs> You're not. I mean, think about just in politics. Have you ever won a politics argument and, and convinced? I mean, maybe it happens occasionally, but you don't typically switch someone that's like on the far right or far left with a nice little argument or a meme. You don't. <laughs> you don't. But, but here's the thing. With sharing the gospel, we don't have to rely on our cleverness. We don't have to rely on our cleverness. We have to rely on God's Holy Spirit moving people to do only what he can do, not what I can do. That's what's so good about it. So share his good news. And we're going to, again, on the, the week following uh, the holiness week, we're going to talk about how to do this and how to maybe guide our decision making in sh uh, by sharing the good news of the gospel. You know, I might add, just personal experience, uh, when I was in undergrad, when I was doing my undergrad degree back in Puerto Rico in math, uh, I really got interested in apologetics, and I still am. I love apologetics. And uh, I, I wasn't go even though I work now as a professor at a Christian university, I didn't go to a Christian university. So I often had debates with people that were agnostics or atheists or just, they were kind of like neutral with regards to everything. And I was so well studied, and I thought that my arguments would persuade people. But they won't. They just won't. You see, you can come up with the most clever answer of all, right? But if you don't have the power of God in your argument, nothing happens. It's God who changes people, not your clever argument. So, the fourth lens, the last lens that we use to make good decisions towards God is use your gifts. Use your gifts not for yourself, to bless others. And by the way, uh, Americans, America, I'd say in general, the world has appropriated that word gifts into something it's not. We think gifts is like singing and playing the guitar and uh, slapping the bass and doing all these different things, right? We think that that's, that that's gifts of God. But in the Bible, Nowhere do gifts of God encompass these like creative, talented things. Those are great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love playing bass, but that's, those aren't the gifts of God. <laughs> that's not what it talks about. See, in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11, we see Peter remind us that gifts are for serving others, not for ourselves and not for putting the spotlight on ourselves, but rather to glorify God. In 1 Peter 4, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God, as good, excuse me, stewards of God's good, varied grace. The gift isn't even your product. It's God's grace. So I can't take credit for being good at one thing or another. It's God. The glory goes back to God. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, meaning you're not speaking your truth. I'm not speaking my truth up here. I'm speaking God's truth. Oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So 
You're not serving out of your strength. It's God who's strengthening you to serve. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If I use my gift to bless others and glorify God, that will lead me to good decision making. Now think about it. Now as, as the band starts coming up, I want you to think about putting these four things together. And think about how your mind is shaped. Love God with everything. That means all parts of your mind. You don't compartmentalize for your decision-making. Your decision-making is guided by love to God and love to others. Radical love to others, right? Your decision-making is guided by holiness. means you look more like Jesus. So I don't ask God for his will on things that clearly his will is established in. For example... God, tell me, should I tithe or not? I don't know, God. Could you reveal your will to me? And his Bible over here is going like, duh, look over here. (laughs) Should I go to church or not? I feel like I can build my relationship with you, God, without church. The Bible starts moving again. Hello! (laughs) Should I give up on making my marriage work? Ah, God, I think you want me to be happy in another marriage. (laughs) His Bible is like, ah, unless it's adultery. And so here's the point. Like, if our decision-making is guided by holiness, I don't even have to ask guidance in the things that are obvious. (laughs) If I'm sharing the gospel, that means I'm making decisions not based on income or quality of life or, or tax rates or financial stability, but primarily on reaching the lost. If I'm serving others, that means I can discern, meaning maybe I have three possible job options. Which one am I going to take? Well, I'm going to take the one that best fits the giftings that God has given me because my gifts are to serve others. That doesn't mean you're always going to get a job in which you can do what you're passionate about because, again, remember, it's not talking about creative gifts here. It's talking about gifts that are geared towards um, serving God and serving others. Glorifying God, excuse me, and serving others. So when I have multiple options, I look to where my giftings fit best. So let those four lens guide your decision making. Now, I've barely said anything about those. And that's what each of the following weeks in this series is going to do for us. Each of the teachers that are going to be up here are going to invite us to dive deeply into loving God, What does that look like? Loving others like Jesus. Holiness. How do I become more like Jesus? Sharing the gospel. How do I share the gospel in today's hostile society? And how do I serve others with my gifts? Let's go ahead and pray um, as uh, the ushers get ready to receive the tithes and offerings. Father, um, we want our wills to become your will. We want our will to be transformed into yours. We want to live a life that's focused on loving you and loving others so that decisions are made from that perspective, on being holy according to your biblical principles so that we know clearly what you desire from us in terms of our moral behavior. We want to seek to share the gospel so that your will of saving all, that all people would come to you and be saved, would be accomplished to the extent that you allow. And we want 
to use our gifts to serve others. All of these lens, Father, these four parameters we use to transform our mind into your mindset, that we would be renewed in the likeness of God, our creator, so that we wouldn't have to guess and go on a cosmic Easter egg hunt, but rather we would, we would make decisions out of love, holiness, sharing good news, and serving. That's, that's how we make decisions like you, Father. Bless us in this, challenge us in this, grow us in this as we go through this series. May we drop all of the other ways that we've tried to seek your will for our lives. May we be honest with each other about what you desire for us clearly in your word. And Father, as the ushers have prepared for the tithes and offerings, we ask that, again, as Pastor Jason was saying earlier, that these would be used for your kingdom. Everything we do here is for your kingdom. We're not seeking to give out of a religious guilt, but we give out of the overflow of a generous heart being generous the way you were generous with us. So multiply these tithes and offerings. May they be an opportunity of worship for all of us. May they be used to expand your kingdom. May we reach here in Redlands, in Mexico, and in Spain to those lost and in need of your gospel. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.